Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Um, Hello to any returning listeners that we might have with us and hello to any new listeners. Today we are recording episode number 84 and it is going to be all about story structure. Very excited about. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to this. I feel like we've covered tiny aspects of it before, but never as a whole. So I'm looking forward to getting into it a bit more and more coherently as like one piece as well. Yeah, me too. I think there's a couple of interesting things and I will be interested to see where the conversation goes today because, you know, we always have an idea of what we're going to talk about but I feel like this is such a broad topic it could go anywhere <laughs> I was gonna say we'll go it's such a broad topic that we could go off topic yes precisely anyways as this is one of our long episodes should we start with a quick writing update sure do so you want to go your, first yeah yeah oh, sure I can go first how have things been with you well My writing hasn't been very productive. I have wanted to produce more than I have. It's been a combination. It's actually mostly been me getting really frustrated at all of the things that I'm working on at the same time. (laughs) I think my Leon Tiardi's chapter, which I've been writing for ages and ages, it's, it is 3000 words, which is fine. I was like, you know, I feel like I could be done, but I'm so unhappy with it that I can't even bring myself to one, send it to you, Sarah, or two, (laughs) I can't even figure out what's wrong with it. I can't figure out how to end it. So I've kind of gone with, it's just ending where it's ending now. And we might need to add something to link it to the next chapter, but I'm just not entirely sure. And I think I've decided to put a memory in from him in the previous war, because I think that will help because at the moment right. it just seems very it's just disjointed very, yeah it's just a very weird weird chapter <laughs> in general so that's kind of where I am with that and I did start doing a bit of editing on darkness set us free because I hadn't addressed any of the beta reader comments yet <laughs> but I started uh editing that and got halfway through chapter four and did one of those like throw your hands up in despair kind of moments (laughs) because I thought it was fine but for some reason now having looked back on it it's just not quite right um a Mm -hmm. massive issue with one of the third Levi chapter massive and that's what like threw me off at the start I was like oh my gosh like I can't even can't edit this so I think I'm just going to read the whole thing through now and pick out sort of get more of a overarching view of the story and what is wrong with it before I start trying to edit to hopefully that will alleviate some of my frustration hopefully <laughs> yeah and um, what about you well I can understand your editing issues I've been doing a bit of editing in dribs and drabs 
on the price of pandemonium this month because with a small newborn, I kind of felt like starting a new chapter uh, was going to be a bit, and that's her now, any grunting there. (laughs) It's not, I do not have a new pet pig. That is my daughter. (laughs) Anyways, yeah, so I kind of thought it might have been too much of a challenge to start a chapter as like my first kind of foray back into writing again. So I started looking at the price of pandemonium, which I should have edited yonks ago anyways, or ages ago, because I realized yonks is a very, is it UK or New Zealand term? I'm not sure. But just in case, you know, there's American listeners, it just means ages. (laughs) It's actually going not too bad. I have a couple more chapters to do, but aside from that, I'm just about done, which is really exciting. It is exciting. I am trying to catch up on like editing the podcast episodes as well, just to get them sorted for the blog because um, there's a bit of catch up to do there. Yeah. So that's also kind of on on the back burner at the moment. How did you find reading Price of Pandemonium again? Because it's probably been a little while since you'd properly read it were you happy with it or did you kind of find some things where you were like oh dear well I haven't actually gone through and read it recently I read it a while ago when I first started editing it again which was like probably like half a year ago to be honest (laughs) and then I kind of made a bunch of notes on it Ashley made a bunch of notes on it and I've just been going through the notes and then fixing the issues at the moment so once I've fixed the issues then I'm going to go through and read it again and make sure it all flows find any other like small little bits that I think should be changed so it's going to be really interesting reading it once the edits have been made because I feel like it's going to be quite substantially different (laughs) I think it'll be good because I I remember when I had read it and put some comments, there's some really good parts, but there are other parts that were a bit needed a bit of work. So hopefully I feel like there's, there's a couple chapters that need a lot of like structural type editing where I've rewritten like large passages. So it's going to be interesting. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's exciting. Anyways, let's move on to the main discussion, which is about story structure. It's quite a technical topic, but it is really important to writing a novel. I thought before we really get into the nitty gritty of story structure, we should probably explain exactly what it is so we're all on the same page and why it's so important to at some point, consider story structure. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So story structure is also known as narrative structure. Um, The storyline or the plotline and describes a way a novel is organized, basically in what fashion the plot might be relayed to the reader. And it is made out of two key elements. So the plot, the events occurring in the book, And the story elements, so, you know, characters, setting, conflict, resolution, etc. And the way these elements intertwine by the author is usually used to reveal sort of underlying themes of the story. 
So generally stories center around some sort of key question that the reader wants answered. A good example that I kept coming across and I was looking looking after this, looking at this up was will Frodo destroy the ring, for example. And the better the author is at setting out the plot and the story elements that Sarah just explained, the easier it is for the reader to follow the story, but also the easier it is for the reader to sort of grasp the meaning behind the story or the theme. And the type of structure that you use gives you a really good framework to make sure that the reader, one, enjoys the novel and two, also feels satisfied by what they've just read. So hopefully that makes sense. Mm. It feels kind of like wish, not wishy-washy, but like it's the structure of the story. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like I was just thinking as we were talking about it that when you talk about the key elements and like the plot and then like the characters and stuff, you're like, how does that relate to like narrative structure, especially if you might've studied it before and what Ashley was talking about, like once you draw that all together, that's how it relates is, you know, finding that framework and then the way things fit into the framework gives you the story structure. I think anyways, that was (laughs) kind of my take on it because, you know, I think, to to kind of clarify what we're talking about here yes yes that's a good way to describe it um I thought next we could talk a little bit about why you as the author should worry about story structure in the first place and why not just sit down and write your story without really giving any consideration to it did you want to go first Sarah sure I think that every story, whether people think consciously about it or not, has a structure which holds it together. And we as people are hardwired to respond to a story when it's given to us in this general structure of usually beginning, middle and end. Some people think that when you have a story structure, it becomes really formulaic and that it's a no-no, you should not do it when you're writing. But even these people who think that I guarantee that underneath if you pick up one of their books if it makes sense it's gonna fit into a story structure whether they like it or not (laughs) I think it's generally true no matter where you come from no matter what culture that there are certain key elements that need to be present um, or the story is going to feel like it's missing something although we have an inborn sense of story structure and it's entirely possible to write and do this on a subconscious level, you do risk leaving some of these key elements out if you aren't aware of it. And readers are then left with a feeling of dissatisfaction. So bringing your awareness to story structure helps you to make sure that you've hit all the important points and keeps the readers engaged with your story. So my take on it is that you don't necessarily need to have it like all set out like, oh, I'm going to like, you know, in this beginning part, I'm going to do this. And then like, this is going to be my resolution da, 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 and like fit it in and try and make it that kind of formulaic thing. But if you know what the elements are, even if you don't use it as a structure, just knowing it kind of helps you make sure that you've hit the points so that later you can be like, oh, you know, oh, I missed a bit of a build up here. Like it's kind of flat. It doesn't seem to ramp up the tension. What can I do to achieve that? Um, That kind of thing Mm -hmm. is 
where it helps just to have an awareness of it. How about you, Ashley? I agree with most of what you said, I think. Generally, at least in my mind, most people who sit down to write a story have some sort of innate sense of how to tell one in the first place without needing to go and look up some sort of specific story structure. And I think we noticed this when we first got into writing as well. Like when we were teenagers, we didn't go and consult a a book about story structure or narrative structure at all. You kind of sat down and kind of knew roughly how a story should go. Mm -hmm. We didn't give any real consideration for any detailed analysis or anything. But later on when we were editing, we did take it a little bit more seriously, I think, and had a bit more of a think about some of the problems that we could see with our writing, which I think leads to some of the reasons why I think it is important to at least once you've finished one of your drafts to have a bit of a think about the structure um, of your story, mostly because well, I've got a few a few reasons why I think it's important to at least consider it and, you know, have those questions sort of in the back of your mind when you're reading through your drafts. Uh, one is because readers expect a story to go a certain way. And like you said, it does kind of sound formulaic, but you also want to make sure you meet reader expectations. So I think it's important mm-hmm. to keep that in mind like if you've strayed way too far off what anyone you know would usually expect from a story to have a think about whether there's any way you can I guess ground it a bit more um so readers feel satisfied with your with the story that they've invested all this time reading yeah second I think story structure really helps with pacing so it can be we found this it felt like initially when the rainfalls went at like a million miles an hour sometimes um, at yeah. the beginning and when you learn about or read a bit more about story structure you realize that there are some ups and downs in a novel so having the story structure in mind can help you I guess find where you can have more quiet moments where like they're appropriate to give your reader a little bit of a breath yeah and I think thirdly it can also help you as the author when you get stuck because sometimes it's really hard when you're reading through one of your drafts like the fifth time to figure out why there's something wrong in your story like sometimes it could be that part of your story structure is off and when you go through and kind of think about it more you can realize oh you know it's because this event comes way too early or I haven't been able to set this up properly so that's why like this feels off later on so that's yes. a few reasons to at least consider story structure at some point I um, agree in your writing journey so yep. for the next part I thought we could talk about some of the common elements that are in story structures there's lots and lots of different types of story structures or narrative structure that an author can use and if you go google story structure you'll find many 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 different types of stories and different structures that you can use you know most of them are suited towards telling different types of stories and we'll get into a couple of those later we're not going to get into all of them because the list was quite exhaustive and oh I'm sure we'll be here yeah. for hours and hours and hours 
Uh, I do I, think they they tend to follow like a similar pattern yeah. anyways. Yeah, generally. But I thought we could look at some of the common threads that are found in almost all story structures and then discuss their importance or or slash discuss I guess how we go about writing them. Yeah. Um so I thought we'd begin with establishing the status quo which is one of the I feel like has to be in almost every story (laughs) yeah for it to make any sort of sense so I guess the bit at the beginning I used to be not so good at this bit and so if you're like me and enjoy starting in what they call media res um, then you might wonder what the need is for it (laughs) but I think it's really important establishing the status quo. Um, You know, the thing that kind of sets everything up, it's kind of your baseline. And what it does really is to help provide some contrast before things start happening. And this contrast is really important because it sets the scene and then shows the current world of your protagonists before something happens to turn their world inside out. So, you know, things might not be perfect, but your protagonist is relatively happy or so they think at least. And the status quo can subtly bring up things in the world. Your protagonist is turning a blind eye to maybe, but that the reader understands it's not quite right. And these things are going to provide challenges later on. And your reader kind of understands that. So whether you start in media res or not, at some point you're going to need to address how things used to be or else the reader isn't going to be able to grasp the contrast and therefore the character's journey through your novel. Um, So it's really important for the readers to know where they started so they can see where they're ending up, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes (laughs) sense. They need to know what... I guess the current state of normal is or normal-ish is so they can appreciate what like happens to your poor character later on more. Exactly. I think we experienced a bit of this when we were editing when the rain falls for the first time because we really liked just to start. (laughs) Yes. Um, And when we were doing some of the editing, we did especially the first, I think the very first sort of edits that we did, we realized it didn't make any sense to anybody what was going on. (laughs) So we had to put in, I guess, some little bits about what our characters were getting up to before events start happening to change them. And I think that definitely made it a better book even though at the start it kind of felt like you're like oh but it's not as exciting (laughs) yeah yeah definitely and as we were talking about with the pace being like super fast that first one like (laughs) you start off with a bang like that then obviously you're gonna end up with like this crazy fast-paced book because you've got nowhere to go except like faster yeah (laughs) say that there's no you can't you've promised you've promised the reader you know fast paced and then you feel like you can't just stop and then readdress sort of (laughs) retrospectively what they did before and then go to breakneck speed again so that book really was fast (laughs) is all I can say yes 
And it kind of sounds counterintuitive to have it. It's not that it's slow, but to have it slower at the start. It sounds like it wouldn't work, but somehow it makes it better, I guess. I think it, it builds tension a bit better. If you start at like breakneck speed with action, then like you can do that and it's not wrong. However, I do think that you can kind of make the action more impactful. Is that even a word? It is a word. (laughs) Um, By sort of ramping up the tension slowly and then going into that action, if that makes sense. Yes. The action's still there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just not in like the first page. Yes. (laughs) Where it used to be. (laughs) Um, This leads quite nicely into the next um, element of story structure that. I think this is definitely in every single story. Like I can't imagine a story that doesn't have an inciting incident. Like, or I feel like there's no real story. So the inciting incident is basically the event that catalyzes the story in the first place or what makes events happen. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that one's got to be in every single one. It's got yep. to be, right? I agree. That's why... <laughs> That's why a lot of the story structures have like a similar pattern because there are certain elements in every story that kind of have to be there and inciting incident is one of them. I love writing the inciting incident. So, you know, it's the part where things take a dramatic turn early on in the story. (laughs) And it's often the part that for me gives me the initial idea for the story in the first place. So it's like, what if this happened? And it gets even more dramatic when you pair it with the status quo, because I feel like, as we've discussed, that contrast seems even more intense. So the readers get hooked by kind of the combination of those two things together. And it's like now they have the information on the protagonist, what the protagonist's life was usually like before this life-changing event occurs. And then the reader can't help but wonder, you know, how is the protagonist going to deal with this and what are they going to do? Will they rise to the challenge? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Dramatic. I like it. Yeah. So I love the inciting incident. When I first thought about, you know, uh, talking about the inciting incident, it took me back to when the rain falls again. And the <laughs> trouble we had figuring out where to put it, I guess, if that makes any sense. Or actually, in some instances, what exactly it was. It sounds really weird, but there's you know there's like the obvious I don't want to give too much away I'm like there's the obvious one that happens in like the first chapter but then a couple chapters later you know more things happen which is what really makes our characters have to react it's like the point of the return kind of thing yeah (laughs) yeah yeah and so it's kind of one of those interesting at least for me it was one of those interesting things where first you think it's one thing and then you're like oh actually yeah that causes a reaction but it's not like the react the reaction yeah I feel like what defines inciting incident is like the point of no return so like there's a couple things like you know that might set the events rolling in motion like you know this happens and that happens and they're like oh oh well that's a bit uncomfortable your protagonist is like oh that's a bit annoying kind of thing (laughs) or like something's happening (laughs) 
but they can still go back to how their life was right like when these little things kind of start building up but then you know when the actual inciting incident happens is when like something happens they can't go back to what their life was like because this major event has happened and they have to decide how to deal with it they can try to go back to how things were but it's not really gonna work you know what I mean yeah I was gonna say and often in books they try to go back to how things were and then that fails dramatically yeah (laughs) so that's your inciting incident the event that changes everything like not necessarily like the beginning things that set it sets it in motion not necessarily the first bit of action that happens Mm-hmm. I guess it's probably a better way, well, another way to describe it. So we've mentioned action, which is kind of the next part. One of the key elements after the inciting incident, we usually have some sort of rising action, which broadly speaking is the part of the book where your characters are trying to achieve whatever their goals may be and are challenged in some way. So I guess kind of broadly speaking the I guess the meat of the story in the middle there yeah I've heard this described by um one sort of narrative structure book as fun and games um (laughs) not that it's all fun for your protagonist of course but it builds throughout the book and the protagonist has like smaller victories and losses along the way to the grand finale And I like to think of these smaller challenges that the characters undergo as kind of smaller stories within the big story that get progressively bigger until things finally come to that kind of head, right? But yeah, it's when you're talking about like the meat of the story, it's like the thing that attracts readers to the book in the first place, like why they're reading the type of story they're reading. That's kind of the reason like the the broad part of the book where they're being challenged by this or that and they're having these moments I'm like don't know where I'm going with this now (laughs) but you know what I mean right I know what you mean I know what you mean it's the part that I that is where you get to make up all the fun stuff that happens to them Yes. Like from the author's perspective. You're like, oh, we can have this happen. Oh, we can have that happen. So I always like the rising action part. It's as I said before, it's really fun to give your characters various hurdles to overcome and then figuring out the creative ways to get them out of their sticky situations and get them into their sticky situations too. (laughs) Yes, exactly. I like the getting them into sticky situations. (laughs) I find that quite enjoyable sadly it's always fun to toy with them a little bit you know they can't have it easy it's so sadistic (laughs) but it's it is kind of fun Um, I was gonna I was gonna bring up one other little point just because Mm -hmm. this mainly stems from the fact that I went to a random like a romance writer's group the other day uh, with a friend because she didn't want to go by herself and I thought that I would mention that action in this case is quite a broad word. Not it doesn't obviously mean like literal um, action. Yeah, like no, like action guns movie blazing action. or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like obviously in in thrillers and often a lot of you know like in our genres, YA dystopian books and all of that kind of thing, the action action is literal action. 
but in things like romance it can be the the whole will they won't they will they won't they <laughs> sort of get together that happens you know throughout the book or whatever it may be so I thought I'd point just mention mm-hmm. that doesn't have to involve guns and war and explosions <laughs> although oh, for us it fun. does which we enjoy <laughs> yes <laughs> so the next the next moment that uh, often mostly usually comes up is some sort of all is lost moment where the protagonist thinks they failed and it's all over I think we can all think of some moments in our books where that is the thing yes I love the drama of the all is lost moment where it seems like to the character that there's no way they can win. They've exhausted all avenues and there is no hope. (laughs) Yes. Again, with being slightly sadistic, I'm like, yeah, (laughs) you think there's nothing left. Um, But for me, (laughs) it's enjoyable. For me, it's a challenge of writing that kind of tear-jerking scene or the one that's imbued with, like, frustration and hopelessness <laughs> and strong emotion. Um, you know, the one where the character has to dig really deep to find the final moral of the story. And I think maybe that's why I like it as well, is that it's connected quite intimately to the theme of your story, and we all know how I feel about theme. So. We do. <laughs> it's like me and setting, yes. Sarah and theme. <laughs> But yes, I love um, I love the all is lost moment. I love the all is lost moment too. One, I love building tension, and I feel like the all or nothing mo- all in, like the all is lost moment is that moment where you get to like build all of the tension. <laughs> I just enjoy that so much. And like Sarah, I especially enjoy writing it in our teen fiction books just the drama that always comes with it I love writing just the drama and there's always so much fallout from (laughs) those moments and it's just so much fun like you feel bad about your poor characters but you're also like this is really enjoyable for me I also think that the all or lost moment yes in your like main story arc there's going to be an all or lost moment but I also quite enjoy the subplot moments too especially in the relationships and things where there's like that moment where they think they've like ruined everything and you're like ha 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 <laughs> yes but I, I also feel like those subplots often add to like the actual all is lost moment as well so yes. it'll be like everything is like <laughs> screwed up like the relationships the like the plot line that's like the general overall story plot line screwed up like everything it's just like <laughs> Hitting shit, hitting the fan. <laughs> it makes which is this just sounds like darkness set us free as a whole. I know, right? Well, because if you think, I will talk about this a little bit later. But you know, everything has an arc, and uh, we've talked about this before. Where with story structure, like so, your book has a story structure, but a chapter has a story structure. A scene has a story structure and a series has a story structure as well and so if you if you apply this general story structure to a series then you start to see patterns over it so for our series the darkness set us free is like the all is lost (laughs) moment of the series that's at least kind of how I feel yeah I think so too because it has especially a lot of facets of all is lost Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. 
And it kind of comes like when we're considering the length of the series, it comes at about the point that I, I'd expect it to as well. Anyways. Interesting things to think about. So the final element of story structure that's common is the resolution, which I also think every book has some sort of resolution. And it can be either the protagonist achieving their goal, not achieving their goal, or even just learning some sort of important lesson along the way. Yeah, so I think kind of married into the resolution, which when you were doing the plan, you kind of had this idea kind of merged together into one. But I feel like they're not quite the same thing, is that we are missing a bit of an important part here, which is closely linked, which is the final payoff. Um, So it's like the really exciting part that your readers have been waiting for and why they've stuck around this long. Um, So, you know, after the the all is lost moment, the character has to then take what they've learned and apply it. (laughs) It's kind of like life lesson. (laughs) So then it's like the grand finale and will the character get what they want or more importantly, will the character get what they need? Um, Because what they want and what they need is not necessarily the same thing. Like, so that's, that's your final payoff. But then the answer to that is your final resolution. So win or lose, there's got to be an ending and one that satisfies the readers. So the final payoff and resolution has to be bigger and better than any of the previous moments in the book. And that's kind of what I think about that. I mean, I, I find it enjoyable to write, but challenging to write this part sometimes. Yeah. Because, yeah, you do want it to have the sort of grand finale have the effect of being the best part of the book that everyone's kind of been waiting for and you don't necessarily want readers like guessing what it's gonna be either it can be kind of challenging to write it but -hmm. it's also quite fun to write it because you know it's like a big moment makes me think a bit about the price of pandemonium only because we had to change the ending to make sure that it was big and grand enough for the book, which I guess speaks to having to have your reader satisfied about what's going on, but also that it's a large enough finale to be worthy of the finale, which was one of the problems that we had before. And Sarah came up with a great alternative finale <laughs> to what we had before, which was definitely bigger more explosive I guess than before (laughs) (laughs) yes oh dear I just remember brainstorming that I was like no this has been done before we need to do something different it's like what can we do that's different and what's more intense that's the (laughs) one where you did a character interview right to try and figure out yes what to do (laughs) and it was it was just kind of funny because it was like this absolutely insane idea that was like when when people read it they'll be like I understand now but yeah it's just this slightly crazy idea that I had that works weirdly it works really well it makes a lot of sense for something that's that outrageous it makes a lot of sense for that character event yes (laughs) although you did write it the you did write that chapter very well though too so that brings us I guess to the end of the key elements that are found within most story structures 
So now I thought we could talk about just a handful of different types of narrative structure. I've picked three main ones, I think. I thought we could briefly go over what they are and then we can talk about whether we've used them before or just like, I guess, kind of have comments about them um, afterwards. So we'll start with the three-act structure. Um, So this one's a very popular approach to writing a story. And I'm just going to go over it in its most basic form because you're going to be able to find a lot of resources out there that are going to break this down uh, a lot more than we're going to on the show because there is lots to unpack with the three-act story structure, which sounds like opposite because you would think the three-act structure would be very simple. Uh, But there's a lot of um, fine details that go with it. Yeah. So very quickly, it is a story in three acts. In the first act, (laughs) you get the author setting the scene, the stakes, and introducing the character. And somewhere in this act is usually the inciting incident, which we talked about before, which is going to set the plot in motion. Uh, In the (laughs) second act, the protagonist faces a series of challenges that they are required to react to. And then finally, in the third act, all of the tension that you've built in the first two acts comes to a final climax and then the resulting resolution. So very briefly, that is the three-act structure. Um, did you have any other thoughts or comments about it, Sarah? I do think it's probably the most common approach um, and the one that we use most often. Though I would say that out of like the stuff that we're going to discuss you can probably take like any story and fit it into any of the structures that we're discussing although you might visualize and connect with one more than another Uh, so for me I like the 3x structure because I strongly feel you can divide any component of story into the 3x structure be it a whole novel a whole chapter paragraph or even so long as it's grammatically correct in construction a sentence (laughs) yeah (laughs) So, you know, each has a subject, something that happens, and then a resolution of sorts. And it's, as I said, the structure I use most consciously. And I think it's in part because that's also the way they teach you to write in school. So you might remember essays, how you're taught. You're actually taught the same structure with the acronym C, so statement, explanation, and example. So Everything, even nonfiction, can be divided down into a very basic three-act story structure. And so I do like the three-acts because I think it's very clear. It's not formulaic, really, because within the three-act structure, you can go so many places. How about you, Ashley? I also think it's probably my most preferred structure as well. I feel like I naturally fall into it, which makes it a very comfortable style of writing uh well structure of writing I guess to put it correctly mm-hmm. and when I think back to when we first wrote when the rain falls and you know going into it without having any sort of specific story structure in mind the fact that that's sort of naturally where you fall into I think <laughs> always helps helps me figure out that that's sort of what I prefer to write I guess and when you get into the minutia of the three-act story structure it you can really use it to help tweak whatever your your first draft was and really help improve your pacing which is I think the biggest benefit we got out of 
really thinking about story structure afterwards was helping us with our pacing and figuring out where the events should be and kind of adjusting them a little bit to fit a bit better. I agree. And like Sarah said, the three-act structure is really useful for, it's not just writing the whole novel, but definitely for writing chapters, I think. That's a really good one to try and help you plan out chapters because sometimes, I don't know, if you ever see some of our chapter plans, they can be a bit scant on details. So it's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> it's helpful to have, a, I guess, a structure to loosely follow. Yeah. So the next story structure I thought we could talk about is called Freytag's Pyramid. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about that one, Sarah. Sure. So it describes the five stages of a story in the form of a pyramid. So imagine a straight line leading up to a triangle. And this line is the exposition. So introducing the major fictional elements and where the line meets the base of the triangle is the inciting incident. And then, you know, rising action goes up one side of the triangle and follows the action of the story, which leads to the climax at the apex. And then falling action slips down the other side of the triangle and ends at the resolution. So that's basically kind of how it is. I think it's quite interesting. I had heard of it as I started reading a book on screenwriting as how it relates well to novel writing. And it could be good if you're more of a visual person as a tool. For me, my brain's kind of hardwired to the logical sequence of the three-act structure, as we've discussed. So I don't really tend to use it, but I think you could, again, use this to fit any book, basically, because it's a similar structure. It's just making a visual representation of it, I think. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I'd actually never heard of it. And when I was looking into it, I was like, oh, I can see how this would work well for some people. But I'm like you, I like the logical sequence of things and the imagining, like having it as a visual tool was a bit, I guess, out of my comfort zone. Um, And the more I looked into it, the more I kind of like you noticed that it was, seems to be more common with I guess screenwriters playwrights and dramatists which does make sense though like when you think about those types of stories um Mm -hmm. maybe it's because they're also visual (laughs) it sounds really silly (laughs) but you know you're watching the story and you can kind of see the the path of the pyramid I guess (laughs) yes yeah Um, Sorry, I'm just like thinking about that now. I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. It's just my opinion. I guess the only thing that I would say about it is like, especially if you're looking at it from more of a visual perspective, is that I, I mean, I haven't studied it particularly much, but to me looking at the visual representation of it, I would say that maybe the climax comes a little bit sooner and the Freytag's pyramid then it might come in the three x structure because the three x structure you'd expect the climax kind of in the last third uh whereas for Freytag's pyramid the way like you could almost see it as like the all is lost moment kind of being the climax at the same time yeah I don't know I don't that's just me like looking at the triangle and thinking 
like how does the come in yeah I mean like when you're looking on the downside like how long is the downside in terms of like versus the rising action kind of part do you know what I'm saying yeah I know what you mean probably need to do more study on it because I'm just (laughs) sort of pulling had a quick look stuff out (laughs) anyways yes the final one I thought we'd talk about is the hero's journey I thought it was kind of fits sort of into the three-act structure but it's definitely quite formulaic and you'll probably think of a few stories that follow this kind of pattern once we go through it so it's made up of 12 steps and I'll quickly go through them um I find that the names are quite amusing as well so it begins step one with the ordinary world where we meet the hero Um, which is followed by the second step, which is the call to adventure, where something happens to push the hero outside their comfort zone. Then in the third step, the hero is like, nah, I don't want to go and refuses, uh, refuses the call of action. And then in the fourth step, there is the meeting of the mentor, uh, where the hero isn't really ready for any of the challenges they're going to face so they get a trainer of some description (laughs) just remember this is quite broad um uh, number five is where they cross they call it crossing the first threshold so that's where the hero is finally ready um, and he gets to begin his adventure in earnest Uh, the sixth step is tests allies and enemies so that's all of the challenges where the hero you know, get some allies, meet some foes and defeat some or whatever happens in the middle there. Uh, and number seven, they call it the approach to the inmost cave. I, I liked the picture. It kind of reminded me of Dungeons and Dragons where you get like deeper <laughs> into the mountain um, where the hero is approaching the most dangerous part of the adventure. Yeah. Then in step eight is the ordeal, which is where our hero faces the biggest challenge so far. In step nine, there's the reward. So that's where the hero can see that success is within their grasp. And then number 10 is the roadblock. So the hero tries to go back to their original life or world, but they're the road back. I think you just said the roadblock. Road back, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I read road back, but I don't know why I said roadblock. The road back. <laughs> um, where the hero attempts to go back to their original life, but are prevented by a number of challenges. Well, that's maybe that's why it's roadblock, not road back. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. In <laughs> um, the 11th step is the resurrection, um, which is, this is, I don't know, at this point I was like, oh, yes, you know, you can think of a few stories at this point uh, where this is the climax where the hero must defeat the darkness one more time. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's very common in thrillers. Yeah. And then the final step is they call it Return with the Alexa or the Jubilant Homecoming, as I'm going to call it. (laughs) Um, So it's quite, like, there's quite a lot of steps to it, but it makes like it follows quite a good story if that makes any sense like even the structures titles you're like oh yes that sounds like a good adventure Mm -hmm. 
Yes, I agree. It's, so I kind of feel the hero's journey is talked about a lot because it reflects a deeper understanding of story structure than the classic three-act format, which, you know, some people like, some people don't like. But basically, it's the three acts broken down into smaller, more detailed steps. So to me, when I kind of look at it, you know, the, the first threshold is probably the start of the second act. Um, and I'd say maybe the road back is the start of act three. And so I think where the hero's journey doesn't fare well with me is that there seems to be an assumption of victory inherent in the structure though I think with the structure it's also important to realize the difference between your plot and your characters in a journey so usually even if the character fails in their quest there is something else gained such as a moral truth and in some stories this is the elixir rather than success um, so perhaps because it's broken down into finer points it may not fit every story perfectly and some would call it formulaic, but I think it does hit on some key points for most stories. It's kind of what I think about the the hero's journey. Yeah, I think I always liked this, because this kind of reminds me of a lot of myths and legends, right? Like from, mm-hmm. I don't know, wherever. And it reminds me of a lot of novels I read as a teenager, I think, especially a younger teenager. I feel like this a lot of those stories kind of fall into this type of structure. And when I was going through it, I was kind of like, I feel that it's potential. There's potential that our historical fiction novels kind of got some more of these elements in it than our teen fiction series. Not that our historical fiction series follows this exactly, but I feel like it has a little bit more um, of some potentially at the end. I don't know because we haven't finished it yet. Yeah. (laughs) But um, or at least the whole um, series of our historical fiction books might have a little bit more of this sort of flavor. Although that might just be because it's set in ancient Greece and it makes me feel like like, like the hero's journey. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of I would, I, I would agree, though. I, I think it probably lends itself to the structure a bit better than what our teen fiction series does, probably because it the endings like as I said I feel like there's more of a victory planned without yeah. trying to give too much away for the ancient Greece book than like the teen fiction series where it doesn't always end happily <laughs> yes uh, I think that probably brings us to the end of talking about story structure I feel like we covered a lot of ground yeah and there's still it so much more ground to cover topic oh, well. I know Um, Like you could go on about it for so long. And actually, if anyone does want to learn about like a different type of story structure, you could head over to the story grid where Sean Coyne and Tim Rowell do like a great podcast there on a structure that Sean Coyne made up himself as an editor. And it's one that I kind of like, and I just find they've got an entire podcast on story structure. So it <laughs> kind of shows topic. how big the topic is. <laughs> and we've big. really just scraped the surface. Yeah. Yep. Um, so with that, let's move on to our mistakes of the month. Sarah, do you have any mistakes of the month this month? 
I do. There was one from a chapter that I wrote for Dark Mercedes Free, which was Violet flickered her dark hair over her shoulder. So I thought that was kind of funny. Flickered. I wasn't quite sure how that, <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm kind of thinking kind of, of like a cartoon character, like, or like, you know how. Their hair? I don't know. Maybe like on a video game where like people like respawn, but they're like kind of flickering when they like respawn. <laughs> I don't know. It was just kind of amusing. Um, this one was quite funny. Ismenius was wary as he appraised Sophia because autocorrect did not like Sophus. <laughs> You're like, who's so, Sophia? Originally, I was like, I know. That's, that's what I was, I was like, Sophia? And then I was like, oh no, that's supposed to be Sophus. I was like, <laughs> autocorrect turned him into a girl, <laughs> which I thought was great. <laughs> so especially since he's such like a manly man yes i'm just like imagining like this butch girl version of him but then this isn't really um so much a mistake of the month but i thought it was kind of funny and i just wanted to relay it to you guys and it's okay because the friend who i'm talking about she she wouldn't mind and she doesn't listen to the podcast anyway so it's all good but I was joking with a friend. Um, I was just texting her and she was talking about her work and how it had been kind of frustrating lately. And so, you know, obviously I'm not really working, but I kind of said, oh, well, I texted back at my new job. The boss is really tiny, but she screams at me if I don't get things done fast enough and forces me to work a lot of overtime. <laughs> and... My friend's response to this was just hilarious because she knows that I've had a baby, but she didn't um, click that I was kind of just making a joke out of it. So she was like, that's a bit unfair. Aren't you on maternity leave? And then I had to explain that my tiny boss happened to be my baby. (laughs) And they're like, oh, my joke didn't lie. but it was kind of funny I got it (laughs) yeah I thought you would I thought it was good so that was a failed joke but it was quite just the response was kind of funny anyways do you have any mistakes of the month I've got a couple so one of them the first one's actually from when I was planning out this um this podcast outline so it is why well, I'd written the protagonist achieves their goal, doesn't achieve their goal, or learns an important lesion along the way. And I was like, oh, <laughs> gets, a bit, <laughs> gets a lesion. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> or gets cancer. Yeah. The end. <laughs> That's it. Um, so that was quite amusing. And the other one uh, came from our one of our co-writing articles that we've been writing for the Romance Writers e-magazine. Um, luckily, I put it through Grammarly before I sent it. So that was <laughs> good. So it read, no matter how in sync you are with your co-writer, there will always be some bums along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that speak the truth now? It does. <laughs> I was like, Bummer. Oh <laughs> so luckily I found that one before I sent it off but I did find it quite amusing it also <laughs> makes me think of like 
was that colloquialism of like bums, like people being like not um, productive people. <laughs> yes. There will always be some bums along the way. It's like if your co-writer is not holding up their end of the <laughs> of the of the arrangement. They're a bum. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, yeah. So anyways, that was those are my two for the month, which amusing. It is amusing. So I guess we should wrap this up. Yes. Um, if you would like to be on our author spotlight section, you can always apply for that. So head on over to lindersoncreations.com hover your mouse over the podcast tab and you will see a drop down to be featured on Dear Writer. And next time on Dear Writer, it's our culturing creativity episode where we are going to be talking about creating mood boards, which I'm really Ooh. excited about. I've never created one that. before, so I might have to make one for the episode. Yeah, so I'm really yeah definitely. I think that's um, one of the, um, the things that we should be doing is creating a mood board for we should choose different like different books of ours that we've done mm. we're kind of doing it backwards because you're kind of supposed to create the mood boards ahead of doing the book but I think it's it could fun. be kind of interesting to like drag a whole lot of things together and then see what each other comes up with I think that'll be fun <laughs> I'm looking forward to it me too uh, so if, if you'd like to know any more about us or any of our writing projects, you can visit us at lindersoncreations.com or get in contact with us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle Lindison Creations. And if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your pocket for of choice. Tell your friends about us and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone.